It's always soccer in Philadelphia. Kevin Kincaid alongside Baxter the Dog, and we are back after a week without a podcast. I apologize. Last week we just got uh, tied up uh, doing a lot of different things. And look, let's be honest, there wasn't much interesting to talk about as related to the Philadelphia Union anyway. And if you want to talk about San Jose and uh, Toronto, you know, maybe we can uh, leave that for your questions at the end of the podcast. I'm not uh, too interested right now in revisiting all of that. But what I will do uh, for you, the listener, is because we did not have a podcast last week, this week we're going to have two guests, not one, but two guests. We're going to go heavy on the Atlanta United uh, content this week, the newcomers, the expansion team. Uh, for Major League Soccer. John Kincaid from 680 The Fan is going to join us to talk about the reception uh, of Atlanta United down there in Georgia and kind of uh, talk to us about uh, you know how the team's doing in a macro sense. And then Jason Longshore uh, is going to join us a little bit later. He's from 929 The Game, and he also is the host of the Soccer Down Here uh, radio show. We're going to talk a little bit more uh, in-depth X's and O's specifics and uh, you know about the players on that team and what we can expect to see in Saturday's game. So uh, without uh, any further ado, let's get right into it. Very happy to be joined by a special guest uh, from 680 The Fan in Atlanta, Georgia, one half of the Buck and Kincaid show, Mr. John Kincaid. John, how are you? I'm doing well. Your name is strangely spelled. We've discussed this before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no Crazy. relation. Uh, no relation, uh, John Kincaid and Kevin Kincaid, although my dad's name is John Kincaid as well, but uh, we were talking about it before we recorded, and uh, we decided that John kind of, you, you have the more common spelling, correct? Yeah, the more common spelling. Yeah, it's the way it works. It's, but but the real the real is C A I D mostly you know across the pond. So and remember, if your name is Kincaid, you are not Irish. <laughs> that is a little tip for you. If you are, there are no Kincaids in Ireland that are Irish descent. So if anybody listening to this podcast and your name is Kincaid and you think you're Irish, you're not. You're Scottish. Scottish. So you are probably you are probably Scottish too. Yeah, well, like most things in uh, in America, they kind of get filtered down over the generations exactly. and blurred, and we kind of lose lose track of what the hell anything is these days. You know, <laughs> that's that's the way it is. If you're enjoying Philadelphia, though. It's a great town. I love it. Love my hometown. It's always fun. Yeah, so I should tell everybody for context that John is a, is a Philly guy, a Broomall native, and uh, Temple and uh, Cardinal O'Hara grad. Do I have that right? Yes, you do. Yeah, yeah. I went to school with all the guys who fixed the NBA game. <laughs> so it's one of our one of our you know three guys going to federal prison in a two year period. Not many schools have numbers like that. There you go. Well, I went to Boyertown out in the middle of nowhere, so our claim to fame is pretty much nothing. Yeah, you so, did. Yeah, yeah. Aloe cup. <laughs> you Listen, know that? What's that's, it, what's that? Boyertown's claim to fame. That's where mallow cups were made. I don't know if they're still made oh. there, but that's where they were made. Well, there you go. I think we had like a uh, like a U.S. Army general from Boyertown, Sandberg or Sand something or other, and I think uh, John. Okay, Mar- that's not as not as famous as mallow cups. No, uh, not as famous as mallow. No, and John Mellencamp's wife, I think, went to Boyertown, but I didn't know her. She oh, was wow. like t- ten years before me. But uh, born in a small town. <laughs> Sure, so. Yeah, there you go. Listen, though, for context, just so our listeners know, the reason I wanted to have John on is because, uh, you know, as you know, he's a Philly guy who lives in Atlanta and now has lived in Atlanta for a while. I'm a Philly guy who used to live in Atlanta. So I figured his perspective on all things Atlanta United, uh, who play Philadelphia Union on Saturday night, would be appreciated. Um, John, first things first, are you even a soccer fan? Uh, I am a mild fan of it. Mild. But I can tell you that I've been perked up. My interest has been perked up by Atlanta United, absolutely. And it has been an absolute phenomenon down here. It really has been 
crazy. So, yeah, I've been taking more notice because they're viable in this town. People are excited about it. And uh, the franchise has been a boffo success uh, for, for soccer. I mean, it, it's crazy, the records that they're setting and everything. And, uh, and I'm proud of Atlanta, the way they've supported it. Why do you think that is? I think my, my theory is this. First of all, it is, we are one of the, if you're talking about the top 25 cities in population in America, we are uh, on most lists the youngest. So we are a millennial-driven community. Uh, we are a we are a transplant-driven community, and I think for a lot of people in Atlanta, they come to this town and they bring their hometown allegiances with them. So I'm an Eagles fan, uh, and even yeah. though I do Sports Talk Radio in Atlanta, I'm an Eagles fan, and so I am all about the Eagles, and and my fans know that, and the listeners know that, and we have fun with it. But so, but when a new team comes to town where you potentially don't have an allegiance. I have no allegiance to the Philadelphia Union because of the fact that they never were even in existence when I was in Philly. Right. But to me, that's what happened when the Atlanta Thrashers came to town. A lot of people adopted the Thrashers because it was the first time that an Atlanta team was starting on their tenure. So I think with the Atlanta United, it's been the same type of thing. And Atlanta United, they have set records in the sale of gear. They're the number one selling soccer, uh, you know, the, the whole kit is the number one selling in, in professional soccer this year. The attendance, you have not been able to buy one ticket to any match for Atlanta United. And they haven't even played in their home in their home stadium yet. And uh, this the, the TV ratings have been solid. Not great, but solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this town's excited about it. You see Atlanta United stuff everywhere down here. Everywhere. Well, you know... Th- you kind of touched on a little bit, and I think the very interesting thing is the sort of the difference in the markets. Uh, you know as well as I do that Philadelphia has always been an old-school four-for-four football yeah. and baseball. We like what we like. And, you know, it, it's not even that – It's not. I wouldn't even say that people dislike soccer up here. It's just that they have what they, what they know, right? They've known the Phillies for 30 years. They've known the Eagles for 30 years. And I think in Atlanta – uh, at least my experience when I lived down there was that because there are a lot of transplants and because it is younger, like you said, you know, there's there's not that deep rooted sports fandom that I think you have in Philadelphia. And in a weird way, I think that opens up people to kind of accept something new. Is that does that make sense? Well, I mean, Kevin, I'm, I'm 52, and so I'm a 52 year old guy, and the Atlanta did not have professional sports when I was born. Mm-hmm. Atlanta got Atlanta got its first professional sports when I had celebrated my one year old birthday. So it's not like Philly, where my grandfather, where my great-grandfather to grandfather to father to me, now passed on to my daughter, are all Eagles fans. It's not the same. And I always tell people when they try to compare, like, Northeast sports fans to Southern sports fans, I'm like, you don't understand. I said, Sunday afternoons up there are huge. The Eagles, it's huge. The whole town's excited. Everyone's wearing eagle green. It's all that. I said, it's the same thing on a college football Saturday in the South. Yes. Because that used to be their professional sports. That's where the deep-rooted passions are. But to me, it's, it, it's, uh, it, it makes me chuckle that, uh, you know, when, when something new, in Philly, everybody wants, you tend to get a lot of those people that are like, ah, ah, I never, interested. <laughs> ah, that's not what I'm into. In Atlanta, people like gathering. Young people like getting out. They like doing things. And the, the United games have been crazy, crazy. And tickets are hard to come by down here. It's been really exciting. Well, you know, I talked to, like, Glenn Mack now, and I'll be like, sure. 
Glenn, you know, I'm not like, I don't even think that Glenn or any of the old school WIP guys, I don't even think they really dislike soccer. You know, I just think they're in no. this, this mode where they're like, well, I, I, you know, this is, you know, this is the only thing I've ever known, you know, so. <laughs> I, I, I think I, they don't. Well, also, too, you got to learn this about the, the guys in my industry. We don't like to talk about things that we aren't comfortable talking about. Yeah. Don't put us on the spot, for God's sake, because we like controlling the conversation. You know what I mean? And so for a lot of guys, that, that's part of the case. I can tell you this. We're not talking much on it on the, on the Sports Talk radio station, on the fan. We're not talking about you know, Atlanta United much, but we will mention that they won. We will mention that boy, the crowd looked fun. We will, but if we're talking about like breaking down games or talking about, nah, that, that really hasn't gone on that much. John, do you have people calling 680 and asking to talk about uh, Atlanta United, or do you have discussions with your uh, your producers or your program director about the team and, and their relevance? We um, we're, we're noticing, you know, that there's people there, there's more people that are interested. We've done more web content with it. Um, we have a podcast that is, uh, you know, about the Atlanta United team that is taped uh, that is recorded at our studios. Um, so there, there's some of that uh, going on. But as far as, like, devoting segments to it or otherwise, if it's a topic about soccer and where it can fit in Atlanta sports scheme and things like that, yes. Uh, if it's talking about games, if, it, if the matches, if it's talking about the roster, no, those conversations are not going on on air. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, quick story. When I lived down there, I lived um, – I was in Augusta for two years, but I lived in uh, Virginia Highland for five or six okay. months. And um, you were at, you were with all the hipsters down in Virginia Highland. Is that where they? Yeah, they, well, I thought they were like in Little Five Points. Is that the neighborhood that's below? Uh, Little Five Points is the tattooed freaks. Oh, <laughs> I mean, now, I'm just being very kind, but uh, no, the, uh, no, you were you were with more though. You were with the cool millennial crowd. Okay, all right. Well, that's, that's, that's kind that's, of that's where the younger people and and I was up in you know Johns Creek. At the time, yeah. You know, now I'm in Sandy Springs, so it's a little different. But it, um, yeah, I mean, you were in a cool young area, and believe me. Well, so, listen, I, I, I one of the bars down there, by the way. What's that, David? Down at the bars in the in the area where you lived in, those I, bars are killing it for Atlanta United road games. Yeah, yeah. There's They're one that's it. there's one that's Pretty on uh, there's one that's on Euclid Avenue that's right down at the at Little Five Points. It's a soccer bar, and I remember watching the Confederations Cup final the there in two. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, I know I would host a. You know, I hosted a few World Cup parties down there, uh, where viewing parties where I went and, and met listeners and watched World Cup when the U.S. And the World Cup. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's this. There's, look, there's a there's there's a, a passion for it. Plus, we have a large Hispanic community. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know my old hometown what it's like, but we have a large Hispanic community in Atlanta that is very much very much interested in what United's doing. Well, you also have a lot of other communities, too. And uh, I played in a league when I was down there, just an adult league that was based out of... Uh, it's a town that's a bunch of African expats. I think it's Cl- uh, Clarkston. Is that what the okay. name of it is? Yeah. And um, basically, they had teams broken up by where they came from in Africa. I was on Team Tanzania, and we played against Team Liberia, who played against... It. This was a league that was just all African expats. But I think, I think the rules were something like... Uh, you were allowed to have like three white kids on your team just to fill out the roster, right? So I ended up on. Well, that's <laughs> awesome, though. Yeah. It's so awesome. I, I know when I came to Atlanta, I played soccer in uh, Piedmont Park. Yeah. Uh, they had a, a thing called Atlanta Sport and Social, which still exists. Yeah. And I played with a bunch of people that were, you know, just looking to make friends. 
We're going to find out. It's, it, it is popular down here, and it's very popular in schools. I mean, and I'm sure that more of that has come to the Northeast, too. So. Well, the interesting but, uh, thing is, um, you know, soccer in the Northeast has always been – I mean, Philly, Philly is a diverse city, but I think we're a little more I, – I think when it comes to sports fandom up here, you know, the suburban – white family kind of rises to the top and that's always kind of been the way it is with soccer up here and those are the people that you see it at uh talent energy stadium down in chester you know it's not in the city it's kind of hard to get to uh i think mercedes-benz stadium and uh you know georgia tech are a lot more accessible uh for for the majority of the population down there would i be right about that absolutely yeah i mean they are you know you're talking about the home of georgia tech football uh and now the home of the falcons which all which atlanta united and uh, you know, United owned by the same people who own the Falcons, Arthur Blank. Yeah. So, you know, he has he's put all his support by that. And the games being played at Georgia Tech have just been crazy, though. It, it's been it's been fun to see, and it's great to see the great to see the product be successful. And they're pretty good. They're pretty good in the pitch too. So that's good. John, let me ask you one question, and I'll let you go. And you mentioned Arthur Blank, and I think that's the biggest difference right now between the Philadelphia Union, uh, the New England Revolution, uh, a lot of these established MLS teams, and and Atlanta. Is it Arthur Blank is a, is an owner who's got a lot of money. He's not afraid to spend. He seems to be well respected down there. I mean, can you speak to um, how how people in Atlanta view Arthur Blank? Arthur Blank is a hero here because uh, first of all, he's a he's an Atlantan. He's a guy who came down from New York, but you know, moved here in the 70s to Atlanta, launched Home Depot, uh, you know, one of the founders of Home Depot. Uh, he bought the Falcons, who were always a sort of franchise that was a joke, and he has turned the Falcons into a very viable, competitive NFL franchise. And Mr. Blank has not made every right decision, but he always tries to do well by the fans, do well by the people who play in his organization. He's considered first class. He is a humanitarian. He is, uh, he is, uh, you know, absolutely goes out of his way to uh, be involved in the community. And the Falcons threw their weight behind Atlanta United, so they they threw their weight behind them. And so the PR arm of the Falcons, having them be in tandem, has really helped. Uh, even the color scheme, you know, picking the Falcons color scheme and everything like that, uh, they they made sure to, to to sort of brand them together. And believe me, the strange thing is this. The Atlanta Falcons season ticket base, and this is a great number for you, mm-hmm. season ticket base of the Falcons and season ticket base of Atlanta United. How much do you think they cross over? I'd say it's, uh, well, knowing Atlanta, I'd say it's more so than your average team. No. No. That's totally different. Oh, really? It's uh, Yes. Like, how about 2%? Oh, wow. That's something else, huh? So it's totally different. These are not football fans. These are not, like... People that have Falcon season tickets, but then go and get Atlanta United. Totally different crew. In fact, I think of Atlanta United season ticket holders. I have the number correct. Um, eight out of ten of them hold no other season tickets. So oh, yeah. it's, it's it's very interesting to watch how they do. And if you, that's a ruling out the corporate ones that bought tickets too, but the corporations have gotten behind it. So uh, it's a success story, man. It's booming, and they're loving it here. And uh, so. I'd like to see. I'd like to see a game in Philly sometime. I have to check that out. Yeah, for sure. Well, we shall. Uh, we shall see how it goes. The first uh, meeting between the teams uh, this Saturday. Uh, one team that's moving in a very positive direction: Atlanta United and uh, the Philadelphia Union, who are kind of going in uh, the opposite direction. John Kincaid from Six Eighty, the fan. John, thanks a lot for your time, man. We appreciate it. Not a problem. Take care of yourself, buddy. Okay, you got it. 
All right, I promised you two guests on the podcast and two guests we have. Very happy to be joined by Jason Longshore, uh, Atlanta United commentator for 929 The Game and also the host of the Soccer Down Here radio show. Jason, how are you, man? Doing well. What about you? I'm doing well, yeah. You know, we have an interesting matchup uh, between an expansion team who I think is better than the uh, team that will be playing at home on Saturday who's been playing for seven years. <laughs> Atlanta United who's been uh, – you know, doing some great things in their in their first year in Philadelphia, who's been not been doing uh, many many great things in their seventh year or their eighth year, I guess I should say. But we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, first things first, uh, Atlanta United, DC United the other night. What happened there? Uh, DC is just that team that, that has your number. You know, like there's not really much of an explanation. What what Ben Olsen said after the match jumped out to me, where he talked about how. You know, he, he's watched Atlanta and how aggressive they are, and he wanted to turn that against them. And he does it by smothering Miguel Almiron, not letting him get going in the middle of the field. And then when they get the breaks, when they get that transition opportunity, it's immediate. You know, D.C. is, is not a team who's going to get into the final third and pass the ball around 10, 15 times. When they get that transition opportunity against Atlanta, it was immediate. A lot of it was Luciano Acosta on the dribble. But these additions they made, Paul Areola, I think, is going to be a great signing for them. And Russell Canals was the man of the match. Yeah, D.C. isn't messing around. They made some nice uh, midseason signings. The Philadelphia Union made zero uh, midseason signings. But, you know, it's interesting. Looking at the statistics from that game, I think possession was something like 60, 64 to 30, whatever. Uh, Atlanta had 15 shots. I think there was only two on goal. Um but Philadelphia is well. They can be a similar team to DC in that regard, as far as you know. They're not. They're not going to bunker and play a Jose Mourinho type of game. But they are going to be defensively sound, and they're not going to uh, give you too much. So, you know, would you say that Atlanta probably is is coming up against a similar team, or probably is going to have to figure it out uh, in this game? I, I think similar in some ways. I wonder if Philadelphia can be quite as as ruthless in the counter, and that's where DC really hurt Atlanta. And Acosta has just killed Atlanta this season. I think he has four goals this season, two of them against Atlanta, had an assist. He was real instrumental Wednesday night again, even though he didn't factor into the, the own goal. And it's sort of just been bad luck for Atlanta against D.C. I mean, Michael Parkhurst is, has given up two goals against D.C. on own goals. I mean, how often yeah. do you see that happen? You know, I think he's D.C.'s second leading scorer, tied for their <laughs> second leading scorer this year. That's yeah. just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, I um yeah, I saw that online. That was funny. Um go figure, you know, he'd probably be on the union the union charts as well, but yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting cuz Philadelphia is not, you know, Philly isn't a isn't an amazing counterattacking team, but they're not going to give you much uh, you know, going forward the fullbacks don't bomb the flanks uh like they used to. Ray Gaddis will stay at home if Giliano Wijnaldum is in there, he'll stay home as well. Uh Jack Elliott and Gucci Anyewu is assuming they start their Positionally very sound. Harris Madunian isn't really going to get, get caught up the field. What, what do you th- if, if Philly kind of holds it down and locks down the defense, do you have any confidence that Atlanta can kind of pass around them and break, break down a bunkering team? And that's the big question. That, that's what Atlanta struggled with this season. They've been finding ways to get results to that D.C. game. Yeah, they had the series with Orlando that you know, everybody wondered if it was going to be a rival, and it absolutely is. You know, It's just two teams that have been – 
kind of eyeing each other during this whole process. So those games were both really tight and played out about how I expected. I, I thought Atlanta played better in Orlando, or I'm sorry, better in the second game here in Atlanta and deserved three points out of that one, but they only got one, and the game in Orlando was probably a, a draw, and Vishalva scores a great late goal. Kansas City, they went on the road and got a result. So I think they can win tight games, but they just have to show that they can break down teams that are going to commit numbers back. And it's going to be causing turnovers. That's the biggest thing for Atlanta United and where they've been successful this season is causing turnovers deep in the other team's half. And if they can cut off the distribution to Madunian and don't let him get going, I think they might be able to do that. They're going to have to pick their spots on when to press and when not to press. Yeah, uh, and, and Philly's been uh... – you know, pretty pretty good at, at getting out of that in their own half of the field this year. Um, Joseph Martinez is is healthy, might not be up to game speed. Brad Gazan is in there now. Um, it, it seems like this team, the the preferred eleven for Atlanta, is is slowly kind of finally coming together here. Um, are we getting closer to that? And how important is that for this this stretch where they have a bunch of games at home? Yeah, it's huge. And I think finally you saw that first choice eleven on Wednesday night in DC. Anton Walks has earned the right back starting job. Tyron Mears had it earlier this season. Walks has, has been there in the last eight games now and done a great job. A um, little raw, little, little. Uh, you know, he's a center back playing right back, but he's athletic enough to pull it off. But he's been a great fit. He's helped the defensive side. Uh, Brad Gazan, I mean, just brings another level of confidence to this team. Alec Can did a really good job as the number one in the first half of the season, but it was always going to be Brad Gazan's job, and he's come in and just added another level. I really like the deal getting Bobby Boswell as well in a trade because center back depth was one issue you start to look at with all these games piling up. Yeah. And Boswell gives you another big body at center back who can, you know, he can spell Parkhurst or Leandro Gonzalez Perez as needed. So that 11 against DC, I think, is your first choice 11 for Atlanta United going forward. What they're going to have to do is pick their spots on when to give guys a break. You know, when do you give Martinez a break? When do you give Tito Vishalba a break? He's played a lot of minutes here lately. And in my opinion, you might see him on the bench on Saturday night because he struggled in D.C. He had been the the late game scorer in the Orlando games, but he struggled a bit in D.C. Maybe having him come off the bench with his speed might be a better solution. And let Brandon Vasquez, the the 18-year-old who's come in from Club Tijuana, let him get a start because he's been great off the bench. See, it gets 60, 70 minutes in a starting role. I wrote a story today about how I feel like Atlanta has pretty much eclipsed Philly in almost every department already. And it's not, uh, it's not me being Negadelphia. It's not me trying to be an asshole or anything like that. It's just kind of looking at where both of these teams are right now. Uh, Atlanta less than a year into it and Philadelphia approaching eight years now. Um, I would say that Atlanta's attack is more exciting than anything that Philly's ever put on the field. Arthur Blank is the better owner. Uh, Atlanta has the infrastructure, the training facility, the stadium. Uh, Philly needed five years to get the practice fields done. Um, you know, the fan base is excited. The homegrowns signings are there. I mean, you're, 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 give me your perspective of Philadelphia, not, not just on the field, but off the field, and uh, you know, from an outside perspective on what, what Philadelphia is eight years into it.
but they don't seem like they're that far off on the roster side to me. I like I like Elliott a lot at center back. I think he's a guy to build around. Yeah. I wonder about Yarrow. You know, can Yarrow and Elliott be the pairing? I don't know. Maybe you have to go get somebody else because Onyewu is not the, the long term answer. You've got options at outside back. That looks good. You're you know you're pairing in the holding midfield with Madunian and Bedoya is is as good as any in the league to be honest. Um, I've always been a big CJ Sapong fan. I know he's a polarizing figure, but mm-hmm. I think with the right pieces around him, he's a, he's a great you know fit for that team. But you don't have the pieces around him to get the best out of him or the rest of this attack. So some of the moves, some of the players who have come in have just left me scratching my head. I mean, the Jay Simpson signing made no sense to me yeah, uh, yeah. at all. And and that's where Atlanta, I think, has been really effective is in those types of signings. I mean, it's easy to go spend the money and go get a Miguel Almiron and, and Vishalba and Martinez. So your designated players, it just comes down to spending the money. But it's those... You know, now the way the league's structured, those TAM signings that I think are the ones that, that make or break you. Yeah, and yeah. you compare what Simpson has given Philly to what Leandro Gonzalez-Pirez, um, Carlos Carmona have given Atlanta, and it's just it's not even on the same level. And that's the biggest difference, I think, in my opinion. And, you know, you get a benefit of, of coming in fresh, and Atlanta United's had that. You know, I, I see this around the league with the discussion about how it's hard for the original teams and even some of the teams in the second wave that came into MLS. It's hard for them to, to sometimes get everything right and capture their their community in the same way a brand-new team can. Yeah. And, yep. yeah, I mean, Atlanta's learned from some of the mistakes that other teams have made, and Arthur Blank's made all the right moves so far. But you got to keep it up, and the results have to be there in the long run for this to continue, and you're in the same boat as everybody else. So it's a great start, but I don't think Philly's as far off either as, as most people do. I think you get maybe two guys in. You get a number 10, and you get a winger who can be a complement to Sapong, and, and I think Philadelphia is a, a solid playoff team. Yeah, that's and I think that's the frustrating thing for Union fans because they see good pieces there and they see these flashes every so often and they'll go out and they'll uh, clobber somebody three to nothing. You know, they had like two three to nothing wins at home in a row. You know, and then they sort of fall apart when the cream rises to the top. You know, it's interesting you mentioned like the Tam signings and whatnot, and Philly got clobbered by uh, Toronto the other night. And I, I I identified. Toronto not just as a team that goes out and signs three DP superstars right you have the TAM level signings like a uh, like a a Gonzalez Perez or a Carmona or something right you have homegrown players as well you have uh, a Gressel who was drafted Um, you know there are other mechanisms Toronto got Delgado out of the Chivas USA dispersal draft or whatever the hell it was called right so so you know I think the difference between Philadelphia and an Atlanta and a Toronto I think Atlanta and Toronto are successfully exploring every avenue of player personnel acquisition whereas Philadelphia is kind of doing it on the cheap and you know putting a lot of eggs into the academy basket which which is nice but the frustration is that if they just explored one or two more of those mechanisms they could they could be at the level of these other teams yeah it's not a it's not a makeover that's needed for the union at all i really think if if they had a 10 they would be a playoff team this year i think if you got a 10 and the right winger who can be a goal scoring winger and take some of that pressure off sapong because i mean i don't see sapong as a a 20 goal a year guy but is he a you know a 10 to 15 goal a year guy with another seven eight assists because of his hold up play yeah and that, that can get you where you need to go. 
So it's just making the right moves. It's getting the the Victor Vasquez type of signing. It's getting the yeah. Gonzalez Pirat signing. Who, yeah, you know, when he was announced here in Atlanta, we didn't know what we were going to get out of him. You look at his track record; it's it's solid. You know, Argentine first division, uh, Estudiantes. He was getting a lot of playing time there. River Plate product, and he's come in, and in my opinion, he's one of the best center backs in the league. And it's that type of move. A Carlos Carmona coming off injury. Uh, a Serie A stalwart with Atalanta, and he's coming off injury, lost his spot in that team. He wants to play. You get him in here, and he's proven why he was a regular starter in Serie A. Yeah, and that yeah. was another TAM signing. You well, know? And well, exactly, and, and Philly TAM changed the league, in my opinion. I think Philly's just got to catch up to that part of it and and use that money more effectively. Yeah, exactly right. Because the four TAM signings that Philadelphia has: Madunian, Auberg, Ilsenio. And Jay Simpson, they're only hitting on one of those. So they're, you know, you could say they're twenty-five percent on their TAM signings so far in team history. Um, I'll let you go, but uh, give me a give me a prediction for the game and what do you think is going to happen? How's it going to play out? I, I look at Atlanta coming in really, you know, kind of ticked off after the the DC series and and how that went down with just another kind of unlucky break, losing on an own goal. So I think they're going to come in with a chip on their shoulder. I think Joseph Martinez getting more minutes under you know his belt. He's going to get back into that form that has terrified the league. I think 2-0 Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But what I worry about is if the game is scoreless or Philly gets an early goal, you know, in the first half, you get into, you know, midway through the second half, I wonder what Atlanta can do to turn the game at that point. That's been the biggest question for Atlanta United this season is that answer when things are difficult and a team can start to pack in numbers behind the ball. You know, can you break down that team, as you asked earlier? Atlanta hasn't done it consistently enough, and, and maybe Ben Olsen's written a little bit of a book on how to play Atlanta. They're going to have to figure out a way to do it. If it's moving Almiron out wide, getting more direct, they have to come up with that plan B and that plan C. But I think they can take care of business in this one, and I think they need to to get where they want to go in the playoff race. It's a unique uh, angle to the game for sure, especially based on what happened with DC the other night. I'm going to say 1-1 or 2-2 just because I think that, you know, I thought Philadelphia might quit, uh, especially after the bad Montreal result and then the 2-2 draw with the Josh Yarrow penalty at the end in San Jose and then getting killed by Toronto. But but I don't really see this team as being a quitting kind of team, and I don't think they want an expansion team uh, to come in and beat them on their home field. So I think it'll be maybe more combative than most people think. Um, so I'll say a one-one or a two-two, but uh, at this point in my uh, career covering the Philadelphia Union, nothing would nothing would surprise me. So, <laughs> so and that's, that's the thing. Like this one could go so many different directions, uh, and that's that's Philadelphia to me this season. I, every time you, know, you see the bad start, and you're like, okay, well they're gonna have to blow this up, and, and curtain's got to go, and you got to make all these changes, and then you have the great run of form. It's just been so inconsistent that you don't really know what you're gonna get, and I, I don't I don't know. It would be frustrating if, if I was in Philadelphia covering this team because I think they would just drive me crazy because you get so close and you see such promise and you feel like you're just one player away, but it's been so inconsistent and I, I don't know. I think it's too I think it's just a couple signings in the off season and it's a whole different tune next year. The Philadelphia Union inconsistent as always, but Jason Longshore very consistent with his commentary. Nine two nine, the game. Listen to him on there or the soccer down here radio show. Jason, thanks a lot for your time. We appreciate it. Anytime. All right, take care, brother. Thanks.
Time once again for your questions, comments, uh, concerns, and rambling bullshit. So that said, let's get right to it. Union Hulk, someone please save Hulky's soul from those butt munches that own Philadelphia Union and uh, clip coupons and roll pennies so that we can have Jay Simpson. I don't think that's a question. There's a question mark at the end of it, but I don't think they're... Uh, there is a question there. 95 Sports says, can you make a pepperoni roll with pork roll? I don't think so, uh, nor would I want to eat that. Uh, when are you getting Chad <laughs> Johnson on the podcast? Hopefully never, uh, but Chad Johnson, uh, if you missed it, he'll be at the uh, Union game on Saturday because he's friends with uh, Fafa Pico. I don't really remember what that story is all about, but I think uh, Dave wrote something about it earlier this year if you want to check it out. Uh, Rick McGovern, does the union actually own its academy? <laughs> well, uh, yes and no. It's basically, you know, as everybody well knows, it's Richie Graham's uh, baby. Uh, so, yes, he's part of the ownership umbrella of the Philadelphia Union, but it's always kind of been his own project. You know, I don't think Jay Sugarman puts any money or any extra money into it. I think that's always just been Richie's kind of thing. So, yeah, you could almost say that it was uh, – you know, an auxiliary part of uh, part of the, the structure, you know. Uh, Don says the Union Fire curtain. Ernie says, Kincaid, you and Zeitlin are know-it-alls. It's your team until the season's end. What would you do? Oh, what would I do if they gave me the, the, the team? <laughs> uh, I'd sit a couple guys forever, and I'd play some of the younger guys. But, uh, you know, try to – I think I wrote about this a week ago. You know, I wouldn't throw seven or eight young guys in there at once. I'd try to do like four or five and maybe get a Najem, a Rosenberry, a, a Yarrow, and uh, Epps or something. Uh, you know, kind of kind of put them around some veterans like Madunianin and Bedoya and, uh, you know, guys that are going to allow them to be competitive, right? Because you can't just throw out a bunch of dudes and expect them to uh, compete against an Atlanta or a Chicago or something like that. Uh, D- Davis Russell says Nick Nixakevich, Raisin and Bowley, Jay Sugarman, and Juan Diego Gonzalez are in peril. Who do you save? <laughs> These are uh, you guys have some good ones today. Uh, I don't I don't know. Well, did Juan Diego Gonzalez ever exist? I don't really know. Raisin was a nice guy before he stopped talking to the uh, to the media forever. Uh, Jay Sugarman doesn't really exist either. Nick Sack, I don't know. I just sort of let them all go on their own. Uh, Luke says, how's Ajax loan going? Could he make the roster next year? I got to admit, I have no idea how it's going. I thought he scored a couple of early goals for that team over in Sweden this year. But, uh, yeah, I got to do my due diligence and kind of look up on him and see how he's going. Uh, with the way that the right wing kind of ended up this year, Marcus Epps and Chris Pontius not really doing much of anything. I think it's a little more open than I had thought it would be. CJ says, is it time to switch to a new formation for next year? Uh, that being said, does Ernie go with or does Curtin go with it? Does Ernie? Well, yeah. I mean, I've been harping on this forever. I'd love to see them play something different, but you know, Harris Madunian in. I, I don't know what else you can really play him in. Um, and Bedoya, then I don't know. Is he playing as a box to box midfielder? I'd still like to see him on the right. I think you know the funny thing is that they've said that they've recruited players specifically for this formation, and that's true when you look at a guy like Madunian in. But then you look at a guy like Jay Simpson, who's not a four two three one center forward at all. So. You're on two two different ends of the spectrum there. Scotty says, how low uh, are season ticket sales going to be next year with the excitement uh, around the team all but dead? Something else I wrote about this year, a lot of people who seem like they were hesitant to get back uh, to, to renew. But, you know, the takeaway that I had from all the people that I talked to was that they're reluctant, but that they're still going to do it. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with they're committed to the team. They're loyal. Uh, they like the game day experience. They like going down there with friends and drinking beers and 
you know, doing that kind of thing. It's still affordable. I mean, Philadelphia Union season tickets are very, very cheap compared to Sixers and Eagles and whatever. I mean, you can't even get those right now. You know, you have to you're waitlisted for them. So it's it's still a good Saturday and Sunday experience. You still go down there, hang out with a bunch of friends. I, you know, some people are hopping off hopping off the train, but I don't think it's going to be as big of a drop as everybody thinks. Alex Armstrong says, which Game of Thrones character would be the number 10 and which would be the lone striker? Oh, that'd be good. Um, God, let me think. Who's the most creative? Well, you, the most creative would be Littlefinger, right? Uh, Littlefinger or Tyrion Lannister. So they would be my number 10. They would be pulling the strings, so to speak. And uh, the lone striker, I guess you'd need a big, uh, a big center forward there. Uh, you know, I could see the, the mountain right there. I could see, uh, Jon Snow. Uh, yeah, you could go a lot of different ways with that. You'd have a lot of good, a lot of good creativity at the number 10 position though. That's for sure. Is it time to get rid of Jim Curtin? I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't, yeah, I can't really, nothing that I can say to, to defend what he's done at this point, other than that, he doesn't really have the resources, you know, but I don't, like I said before, I don't think that he's really, I don't think that Jim's really done himself a lot of favors, uh, you know, to kind of mitigate what we all know is having a weaker roster, right? Uh, Anthony says, why can't we have... Oh, hang on. Let me hang up the phone here. All right. I don't know who that was. Uh, Anthony Nicolodi says, why can't we have nice things? I don't know. Pete says, are fish wet? Um, and Philly fan says, no, water is wet. Uh, Chris Safi, John says, uh, given the union's coaching history, does firing curtain lead to the promotion of Burke, uh, parentheses, please. No, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think it does. I mean, I, I think there'd be a lot of criticism if they stayed in house again this time, you know, they've done it every single time, uh, from Novak to Hackworth to curtain. I mean, I think they'd have to go to an outsider. I, I'd be interested to see what Ernie's perspective is on that, you know, cause he does have a lot of foreign contacts. He knows what foreign coaching is like. Yeah, but he's also a guy who seems to be committed to the American game and the American player. So that that's it's interesting. I'd like to get his his perspective on that. Will there be more players leaving or staying in the offseason? Probably leaving. Uh, Matt says, when do you stop playing guys like Gooch who may or may not be here next season and play for the future? Uh, you know, I, I just don't think they're – they're 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 going to be this team that is not going to do that until they're technically out of the playoffs. Uh, you know that's kind of been the blueprint for the last couple of years. You know when they've been out of it, uh, you know they'll they'll say, well, we're not going to put a bunch of kids in while we still mathematically have a chance. Uh, so I don't think you're going to see guys like Gooch or uh, whoever take a seat until that you reach that point. Um, Brian says, I want to know if you think Jim is getting fired, and if so, why? And if not, why not? Well, I just. I, I don't know, based on what they said earlier this season, you know, we came out pretty, pretty strongly saying that it was probably time for a coaching change, or at least asking Jim Curtin, or at least asking them, you know, what, what's the deal here? And they doubled down on, on Jim as being the head coach of this team. So I, I wouldn't, I can't see them at least now reneging on that and going back on that just four months later, uh, because it would make them look like hypocrites. Maybe they wait until after the season and do it if, if he bombs down the stretch, but I don't get the sense that they're going to change anything or that they're going to do. I, I still think that they see themselves as being in year two of a five-year plan and Ernie Stewart and Jim Curtin are part of that plan until it's completion or in, or until it's terminus, you know? So I just don't, I don't see anything from, I don't see any language or any suggestion or anything that I could parse in the words of the front office or the coaching staff that would tell me that Jim Curtin is on his way out. Now, that's just how I see it. 
Dave says, given how important this offseason will be, do you think the front office will do the usual wait until January or February to make moves, or will they be more aggressive? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I think you you know, the, a bunch of guys will be jettisoned right away for sure, and maybe they'll come to a bunch of pre-agreements with guys. But even, even then, because Ernie has kind of locked down communications, we don't even really know when they start their contact with these guys. I mean, they very well could be in contact with these guys as soon as November. You know, but they don't make these things official with the paperwork and all the assorted BS until – January, February. I remember Fernando Aristeguieta. I first got a sniff on that in, in December of, of that year. Uh, December, well, it would have been 2014. And then they didn't officially sign him until two months later. So, I mean, the process for all these things is long. I think you're looking at a window of November to to February, but they don't make a lot of these announcements until January, February. So, if 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 you get an antsy because you think they're not signing anybody, don't don't take that to mean that they were sitting on their ass for the for the holidays and eating uh, uh, turkey, you know. Uh, Brian says, when do you think Jay Sugarman will finally understand that it takes investment beyond his portfolio to make us competitive? I think he does understand that already. I just think he's being, he knows that he doesn't have the money. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to say that Jay Sugarman's cheap and that, uh, you know, he's not willing to spend the money, but he also doesn't have as much money as, as everybody else does. So that's, that's one thing, you know, I think, like I said before, he's on the expansion committee along with, uh, the, one of the crafts, uh, ironically, and one of the Chicago guys who, you know, that was a joke before they turned it around. So I think he waits until expansion is done. You know, the value of the Philadelphia Union franchise will plateau, and I think he cashes out then. That's just what I think is going to happen. When are the Sons of Ben going to invent new chants before or after they consistently fill the river end again? Well, that's <laughs> an internal Sons of Ben kind of thing where, I, you know, people I've talked to have obviously said that the buzz is gone, the team is shitty, and so that affects things. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the river end, you'd like to see it full again. You'd like to see some new uh, chants and things like that. But I can't, can you blame them? Uh, no, because they haven't had much to, to chant or cheer about over the last four or five years. Uh, so I don't know what incentive there is to go back to the drawing board and trying to get some uh, people who are kind of half-acidly paying attention, uh, understandably, to, to go and you know be enthusiastic about that. Uh, Craig says, what does Curtin do better now compared to when he started? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I would have said, I said earlier in the year that I think he trusts his bench and his depth a little bit more. You know, the fact that he turned to guys like Aguchi Anyewu and uh, Ray Gaddis and uh, Jack Elliott, you know, but then on the flip side, was there an overcorrection there? You know, is it time to put Keegan Rosenberry back in? Is it time to put... Uh, you know, Roland Alberg back in the starting 11. I don't know. I don't know if that's a positive or negative now. That's a really good question. Uh, Eric says, if you could only pick five and you had to keep them for the next two years, no matter no matter what, what players would you pick to stay? Uh, five players on the team who I'd pick to, to stay no matter what. Uh, Andre Blake, number one. Jack Elliott, number two. Uh, number three, I guess Bedoya, because he can do a lot of different things. Number four, um... I I would keep CJ around because even if he's not your number one striker, he's a great guy to bring off the bench. Number five, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, well, I guess Rosenberry is still be the future over it right back for sure. Uh, Biggins says, what's up with Cleberson's new role? I don't know. I guess they brought him on as a coach or something like that. I, I haven't been paying attention to Twitter. I've been doing uh, podcasts and whatever stuff all morning. So um, I think Tannewall was down there on Friday. So uh, check his feed. 
Uh, Dinkins says, will John McCarthy be the number one next year or will they bring someone in to battle him? Well, it's interesting because if they sell Andre Blake, I, I have more confidence in John McCarthy being the number one next year for sure. Um, or at least, you know, starting six, seven, eight games like he did this year. You know, he's, I, I've said before that I think he's a little bit overshadowed. And I think he's viewed, you know, in regard to how good Blake is. And I don't, I'm not sure if we're taking an objective view at, at, at John's uh, skill set. Uh, what else do we got here? Did we ever have a realistic shot at getting Velko Paunovic as a coach? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. I don't know how much interest there was there. If there was any real interview, uh, would a different coach even change this season much? I mean, it might change it a little bit, but you're still dealing with the same roster. Um, Jimbo says, "Are we going to see a lot of different lineups now that the playoffs should be out of the question?" Well, again, it goes back to the mathematical thing. They'll probably switch it up a little bit when they're eliminated. Uh, Garrett says, "If I could buy one Union jersey, which current player would I get?" I don't know. You're asking me. Um, I don't know. Who's the most exciting player on this? Who's going to stick around? I don't know. Madunian in maybe. Uh, Chris says, what chance summarizes the union? You don't know what, you don't know what you're doing or we're fucking shit. Well, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think those are both uh, pretty accurate right now. Justin says, is it time to possibly look at a new coach? I mean, yeah, probably. Jason says, will the Union start 2018 with a brand new front four or do any of the current starters remain starters? Pontius, Lucinio, Fafa, and CJ. No, I think Fafa will be in there for sure. Pontius I wouldn't bring back at this point. Lucinio I wouldn't bring back. And uh, CJ is going to be interesting because you have Jay Simpson on another year behind him. So you've got CJ on 300 and you've got Jay Simpson on 500. So if you're going to play one striker, you've already got $800,000 locked up in one position. So I don't know what kind of flex they have at center forward. Uh, Matt says, do you think the youth development angle might be part of a strategy to help the YSC brand? And uh, where will it do play with, with Maher? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the YSC thing, I mean, look, Richie Graham's YSC investment is kind of foolproof or Jay Sugarman proof, right? Because Richie can keep putting tons of money into his own product and his academy and whatever. And then if Jay Sugarman sells, um, you know, Richie would theoretically then stay on board with the next owner and his, his money that he puts into the academy, the academy isn't going to change. You know, it's not like they're going to have another owner come in and say, well, we're going to change our academy affiliation here. No, I mean, he can put all of his money into that basket and, and see his investment protected for the eventuality. Is that a word? Eventuality of when, uh, Jay Sugarman would would sell, so it's almost like two separate entities here that are just kind of working together because it benefits both of them, right? That's a way to think about it. Brian says, "I noticed that the YSC brand is shrinking. The interior of the facility has been painted with union colors, and all the banners are union 100. percent Well, as it should be, you know. And they had like old Wayne Rooney stuff in there, and all and Philadelphia Union players who haven't been with the team for years. They should have changed it a while ago." Stick says, "Why do MLS players get overlooked when being called into national teams?" Uh, because the national team coaches are assholes. You know, Italy is, is ridiculous at this point with Javinko. Um David Villa, how about that? Him getting called up. That's a great story too. And Lawrence Simon getting called up into Belgium as well. And Harris Madunian and getting a call into into Bosnia. I mean, uh, not this time around, but last I think it was in the last window or whatever. I mean, those are those things are a big deal. I mean, because that's how you know, other players will then say, Well, look, Lawrence Simon is playing next to Alderweireld with Tottenham and Jan Vertongen and Vincent Company and Lukaku and Mounier, the PSG and Lazio and, and Tottenham and all these big teams there. No shit. There's this guy from the Montreal impact. You know, that's the kind of stuff that increases the profile MLS when you can put those kinds of people side to side, you know, it's the juxtaposition um, of seeing Montreal impact right next to, you know, SS Lazio or whatever. Right. EJ says, do you want to change format to an arena football podcast? No. Uh, 
Nick says, uh, season ticket holder for six years, opting out next year, still support the team, but can't find it worth the time uh, to watch a terrible product. You're not the only one. You're definitely not the only one, Nick. All right, well, 45 minutes. Uh, I think that's pretty much all we got in here. Thanks for a ton of questions, guys. That was great. And uh, sorry again, we didn't do a podcast last week, but hopefully I made it up for you, made it up to you with two guests this week. Thanks to John Kincaid and Jason Longshore for coming on. Philadelphia Union, Atlanta United. I got a 1 1 or a 2 2 draw. Crazier things have happened. So we will see what happens. And I have Floyd Mayweather uh, winning in a boring fight uh, 12 rounds. It's always soccer in Philadelphia. It's always boxing as well. Kevin Kincaid and Baxter, wherever the hell he is right now. Thanks, everybody.